Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. In 1992, there was this seven-foot-one behemoth of a man who was coming out of Louisiana State University. He was going to be the first overall pick in the NBA draft, and everyone knew that this was a -a once-in-a-generation type player. This guy was huge, but had the agility of a six-foot, six-foot-one guy. They thought, okay, this is going to be the next great center of the NBA. They have a lottery in the NBA to find out who's going to get the first pick and the subsequent picks, and the Orlando Magic won that lottery. So they got to draft this player. His name was Shaquille O'Neal. Many of you have heard of Shaq, okay? This is just a mountain of a man, right? So Shaq gets drafted, and then Orlando's... You know, opportunities start to change. Now, all of a sudden, the team is significantly better just by adding one player. He comes in, and they go from being a worst team in the league to almost making the playoffs. Things are going pretty well. So now you have another offseason. You have another lottery. Well, of course, their chances are a lot less of getting the number one overall pick. They have a less than 5% chance. They got it again. Two years in a row. This time they'd use the pick to end up getting a player out of Memphis who was six foot seven and a point guard. That's a unicorn. You don't see those around. You don't see guys with that kind of height and that kind of skill that plays point guard. It just doesn't work, right? That's not normal. So they get this guy, so now they have their big man, and now they have their point guard, and all of a sudden they start to take the league by storm. And the Orlando Magic just start to get better and better each year. They beat the Jordan Bulls. That's how good they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. They go into the finals, and now they are favored against a veteran team that is not nearly as skilled as they are. Doesn't have near the talent. Great team, but doesn't have the talent of the Orlando Magic. And they get swept. They lose to the Houston Rockets in four straight games. And then all of a sudden, things start to crack. The foundation of the team doesn't hold, and you have Shaquille O'Neal bolting to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Then a few years later, you have Penny Hardaway on a very dysfunctional, talented, not great team. So the Magic, who had this great promise, they were going to be the next great team. Everyone thought it. The Bulls were coming down. They were going to be the next great team. Penny Hardaway is going to be the next Jordan. Many of you don't care about basketball, and I get that. But you know Jordan? Do you know Penny Hardaway? Maybe. Probably not. Because it didn't work itself out. It did not work. There was not unity on that team. A lot of them were all about self and about what they wanted, and they didn't have unity, and it killed them. I share that with you because I think it's a great place to start to find out about unity within the church. We've been studying in Philippians this body of believers who are having trouble being unified to being of one mind, to following God together. 
That brings us to our big idea is that a unified body finds peace in God. We as believers do not find peace the way God can give it without getting it from God. The problem is we try to find it in every other avenue. We try to find solace, we try to find fulfillment, we try to find all of it in all these other places except for God, the one who actually grants it. We're going to be in verse 1. Let's read it together. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Erodia and I entreat Sinti to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the word, Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any evidence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul begins this, this chapter by encouraging them once again. He's talking to these Philippian brothers and sisters, and he knows that there's strife, he knows that there's trouble, and his, what he wants for them is he wants the peace that only God can give. And is Paul on site on this campus? Is he at this, this, this church building? No, but his heart is there with them, and he longs for them. And that's why he begins with, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, you're my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. We're going to be talking a lot about peace today. And the first principle of godly peace is the discipline principle. This is in those first three verses. What it says is that peace requires discipline of inner feelings towards the body based on the value of what God says they have. Paul urged them to work out their differences with a leader guiding the conversation. So check this out, right? So Paul hears about trouble. Is that news at 11? Not so much, right? Trouble within people. No way. Right? We said less than five minutes for the kids. For adults, I think we can give ourselves maybe 15. Right? I mean, some, we, 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 we offend each other. We annoy each other. It happens. We're people, right? That's, that stuff just happens. But what he's calling them to do is he knows these two ladies and he says, stand firm in the Lord. That's where it begins. Stand firm in the Lord and I entreat. He literally says, I call you, I command you to those two ladies to agree in the Lord. Some of your translations may say, live in harmony. Right? Do any of you, I'm not looking for a show of hands, I just want you to think. Do any of you struggle with feelings towards other people? 
or sometimes you got to check yourself because feelings you have about another person are not godly. They're not focused on lifting them up or encouraging them. They're just negative. And it can paint us. And when we allow those feelings to dig in and harden our heart towards that person, that's when you don't live in harmony. I love the idea of the word harmony, like a musical term, playing together for the right note, right? I, I, lo I love that imagery. But when I say discipline, I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What I'm talking about is exercising, disciplining yourself. Frank, I'm going to call you out real quick. You're a bike rider, right? Okay? So how many miles could you ride if you just, like, didn't have to, but if you just had, okay, I want to go on a long ride today. How many miles are you going? That's insane. So 35 miles. Awesome. I mean, good for you, but in my head, that just blows my mind. 35 miles. The first day you got on a bike, how far do you think you could go? Not pushing yourself, just like going. About five miles, right? So, yeah, so how did you get there? Is it possible that we should do that with our feelings as well? That maybe inside our own heads and our own hearts is a hardness towards people? Because that's kind of our default, is to be about ourselves and our own wants and our own desires, not about the wants and desires of each other. And you don't flip a switch and all of a sudden love people. You work at it. And you might even get up to 35 miles of it. Paul is, is pointing out to them that to take these differences, and if you can't work it out, get a leader involved. Reconcile, work together as a body, because that's what we're called to do. They're, they're not working, they're both they're working out their differences with Christ, and they're working them out. But notice how he how he phrases it at the end of verse three. He says, With the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What does that mean? What's he talking about there? We're gonna interact. You guys go and ask you questions. What they're believers. So what you're telling me is that you should want to reconcile with that person and you should love that person because God says they have value. Boom. It's not about your feelings. It's not about my feelings. My feelings need to be disciplined to become more like Christ. God says they have value. And if God says they have value, I need to seek reconciliation with that person. I need to discipline my thoughts, discipline how I feel about things. That's what he's calling them to. And all in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord. How are you doing at training your emotions? Is that the first time you've ever thought about it? We got to work at that. That's not a default. We don't wake up one day and go, you know what? I got I to deal with how I feel about this. A lot of times we just go, I have to deal with how it looks on the outside. I'll keep feeling that way, but I'll just work out how it manifests itself. I'll just make sure that my face doesn't show how I really feel about this situation. How about you change the way you feel about the situation? That's not an overnight thing. That's disciplining, as we talked about with Frank. Taking time, dealing with what you're in. And then when you slip up, because you will, because we do, seeking reconciliation with the person.
But that's not all for peace. You see in verse 4, he talks about this. You see this over and over and over again in Philippians. He says, to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, right? The idea is that peace comes first by finding your joy in God, not your circumstances. Paul reminded them once again to rejoice in the Lord because we're so quick to forget it. Now, what's that a picture of? This one shouldn't be the hard one, guys. <laughs> what's that? Happy little boy. What's he doing? He's eating ice cream. Is he happy because he's eating ice cream? I'd say probably, right? I mean, I'm happy when I eat ice cream. I even do that sometimes. He's delighting in what is in front of him. So, okay. We take, we take time to delight in what we value in, right? We rejoice in the things that are fun, the things that we like to do. We'll, we'll even blast it on Facebook. I had this amazing steak. And there's nothing wrong with putting that on Facebook. I'm not bashing you for that. But you're, you're excited about it. You're like, yeah, this steak is awesome. Or went to this park or got to see the grandkids. Or this is so cool. We're celebrating all this stuff. We're delighting in it. We're rejoicing in it. Is it possible that the one thing that could bring you the most joy at all, we're not spending much time in delighting in at all? And that's God. He has had to remind them at every stage of this letter to rejoice in God because we need to be reminded at every stage of our life that all the other things that bring joy are not lasting. The only thing that we can find complete joy in and that we can trust and that will continue to be there for us is God. Think about how delightful God is. And if you're not understanding what I'm saying, that's the point. If we're not getting how delightful God is, it's because we're not spending any time with God. That face when you first lick ice cream, and everyone does it, I don't care who you are, you're just like, that's good. I had that happen for me this week. I'm studying through the book of Zechariah, which is a series we're going to be starting in the next couple of weeks. And I, I just had it about God's word. And I do not say that boastful. That's not my intention. I'm just trying to share this with you. I was going through the book of Zechariah and seeing some of the cool stuff God did through that guy's life. And it was just like, man. And I caught myself going, I do not spend enough time delighting in the Lord. And then I got to Philippians and I'm like, oh, that's what you meant, God. And we've been studying this for the last like four weeks. And I got it now. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't spend time delighting in God. And you do that through spending time with Him, through prayer with God, through reading His Word, and through meeting with His people. That's a part of the component, too. But that's not it. He continues, right? Verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Does anyone else have a different translation? Okay, what do you guys have? Ms. Sue? What's that? Moderation. Moderation. Okay, Ms. Deb, what do you have? It doesn't say reasonableness. Yours, I think, says gentleness. Gentleness, yeah. Gentle spirit. Okay, so gentle spirit, reasonableness. Okay, what he says is, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What? I just want to propose an idea here. And it's that being known for your gentleness requires actually being gentle. This one's going to hit hard on a lot of us. 
How gentle are you? How reasonable are you? Because that's what he's called us to. Paul called them to be known for their gentleness and kindness. And let me ask you a question. Is that an adjective that many people would use to describe the church? I would bet that you could probably get 20 before someone said reasonable or gentle. That's a problem. We're not described that way, guys. Generally speaking. Now, maybe you might be the most gentle person, most reasonable person. That's awesome. Applaud you. As Paul said in Thessalonians, I exhort you to do more. But he says, be known for it. And you know who the known is? Not just the body. The known is the community in which they find themselves. It's not just about being reasonable and gentle to everyone sitting in these seats. Because we do a pretty good job with that. How reasonable and gentle are you on Monday with the people who are knuckleheads? With the people who drive you crazy? How reasonable and gentle are you? Would they describe you that way? It, ugh, right? That one hits, right? Oh, I can really do well between like 7 to like 12.30 on Sunday morning. I can be so gentle. I can be so reasonable. I, I worked with a, a woman who was a lesbian in uh, Sebring at, uh, at the previous um, store I was at. And she was cool. And there was this kind of weird thing in the beginning because she knew what I did. She knew about my work with the church. And she came in and she didn't walk into the store saying, I'm a lesbian. She just walked into the store and she worked there and she knew of me and she knew what I, you know, she, she knows the things I value because it's evident in my life. I'm not blasting it, but it just, it just is. And people talk, right? When you have someone, oh, that guy's a pastor, whatever. It took six months of just working with her before she would even talk to me about her personal life. Because she thought the moment that that came up, that she would talk about the fact that she was a lesbian, that I would immediately become some ultra jerk to her and just say, whatever, I don't even care about you anymore. She felt that way because A, she's either heard that happen, or maybe it has. Right? The problem is not that she was a lesbian. The problem is that she's not saved. That she doesn't know Jesus. Now, God will work out the other stuff on the back end. The important part is, was I known for my gentleness and being reasonable? Was I known for that in my community? Guys, I worked really hard. And it took six months before she opened up. I'm still friends with her today. So she's awesome. She's not a believer, but God's not done. That's what Paul's calling them to. Do you in your community evidence the fact that you're gentle, that you're reasonable, that you're not looking to hit someone over the head with the truth? You do speak the truth. We're not shying away from that. But we talk about it all the time. You speak the truth in love. You actually care about people. And you know what that ties back to? Disciplining the feelings. Do you see how it's all connected? What God is doing here through Paul. He continues with verse 6 and 7. I call this the effective help principle. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. You've heard this before probably. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says here that maintaining peace requires taking your trials to God. He's the only effective defense anyway. And don't miss this. Paul commands to stop worrying. Take your problems to God. His peace will only come over you. Well, will not only come over you, but also protect you. Okay, so this, let's unpack this. This is really cool. He says, do not be anxious. Okay? It's a command. He's not saying, hey, work on not being anxious. He says, do not be anxious. Is that hitting home for anybody right now? Because I think we're kind of kings and anxious. We do really well with anxious, right? That's normal. Paul says, do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A lot of words. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, do not be anxious, okay? Seriously, don't allow it. And here's what you do. You take your request to God, you pray to God, you communicate with God, and you do it with thankfulness, thanksgiving, with gratitude. How, do you, how on earth do you pray with gratitude? Seriously, what does that even look like, right? What it looks like is, God, I have no idea what's going to happen in my life in the next six months. I am so freaked out about what's happening right now, but you know what I know is that you've been faithful in the past. I know your character. I know how faithful you are, God, and I trust you. That's thankfulness. It's pointing out the fact that I can trust you, God. I can, I can literally just take my anxiousness and give it to you because you are the effective help. You're the one who can handle it. Sarah, quite a few years back, had a pain in her side. And, you know, when you got a pain in your side, we went to the hospital and... It turns out she needed to have her appendix, uh, appendix taken out, right? So they take her appendix out, and of course, she feels better. Why didn't I take her to a mechanic? <laughs> it's ridiculous, but I'm asking for, I mean, seriously. Somebody give me an answer. Why didn't I take her to a mechanic? He couldn't help. Why do we take our anxieties to alcohol, drugs, food, porn, whatever it is? Why do we take our anxieties to all the places in which you cannot find help? We do it. We do it all the time. We take our anxieties, a thing that God has commanded you to not to do not do this. And we put it before all of these things that we think are going to bring the fulfillment, that we think are going to make us feel better. And then when they don't, all that does is lead to depression, anger, frustration, and division. It's insane. That appendix, have you guys ever seen an appendix? I'm not kidding you, it was like that. It was like three inches. And the thing that was infected or bad, like I'm not trying to be gross here, but you can actually see it. It was a little black thing on it, I guess where the appendix, like, you know, I don't know, the O-ring blue or something, it was bad. You're supposed to laugh, but whatever. Um, it, was, it, was, it was like this big. So it was a three-inch thing with a black piece this big on it that was debilitating for my wife. She was on the ground. I've seen her in labor and it wasn't as bad. She was like, ah, that little thing not taken care of, gone to the mechanic, could have killed her. She could have died. 
Your anxiety, the little bit that you allow, if you do not take it before the Father and actually allow Him to do what He is doing, it will kill you. Why are we allowing the work that God has called us to do to be halted by the anxiety that we find in a fallen world that He is in the process of redeeming? Why? Why do we miss this? Why do we skip right past it? Take it to the surgeon that's qualified, and he will take it out. And the word he uses here for peace is incredible, because he says, not only will I grant you peace, but the peace will guard you. God's peace will come along you, and you will know that he will take control, and that he can solve your problems. He's bigger than your problems. And it says it will guard you. God's peace is active. It keeps a lookout for the next thing that's coming. Are we disciplining our feelings? Are we focusing on Him? Are we taking it to Him, the only effective help? What are we doing? Then you got to refuel. You see this in verses 8 and 9. The point here is that focusing on the things God's, God calls valuable and true, it refreshes the believer. This helps them to continue to run the race. Paul closes here by saying, focus on the godly things. This will help maintain peace in the life of a believer. So he goes through this, this laundry list, right? Honorable, meaning deeply respectful. Just, which is a judicial term, meaning uprightness, approved. Pure, meaning blameless or innocent, not mixed with anything. Lovely, meaning friendly, a personal affection. Commendable, of good repute, spoken kindly of, good quality, and praiseworthy. Approval, something that is accurate. He highlights these things for us to focus on them, to draw our attention towards them, because there's so many things in this world that are the opposite of that list. That will draw your eyes towards the things of this world that will pull you away from what God has called you to do and will actually push your anxiety. Will draw you back into it. Have you ever watched a plane being refueled in midair? Everybody ever seen a video of that? It's incredible. It's crazy. These, these people are flying at a billion miles an hour, and that's, that's official. They're flying, and a, a tube just drops out. It's like they're watering an orange grove or something. And they attach it to each other, keeping the same speed, and still going on the mission. You know why they refuel in midair? Because they're still on the mission. It's not over. You're not tapped out. So why do you focus on these things? Because you're still on the mission. You're not tapped out. It's not over. You're not done. Not until he says. You focus on the pure things, the truthful things, the appropriate things, the praiseworthy things, because it refreshes you and it refuels you and it does not take your mind off of what God has called you to do. How are you doing with refueling? How are we doing with that? Are, are, we, are we taking in what we should be taking in to get us to the next stage? Or are we focusing on all the wrong things and wondering why it's not working? Why it's frustrating? 
All of this, and Paul closes with these last few verses, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you in your spirit. Paul closes this by saying, here's your life application. Here's your life application of what I'm calling you to do to find peace. Look at my life. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. He says, whether humble means or abundance makes no difference. Paul's strength comes from Christ. Thank you, Philippians, for your piece of this. So what Paul says is, you've watched my life. I lived with you. I worked with you. I showed you that the gospel is real. Now, look at my life now when I'm a missionary out on the mission field and you were one of the only churches, actually at this stage, you were the only church who gave to him and helped supply his needs. So what he's saying is, in times of no means, and in times of abundance, I have come to know that I can find my peace in Jesus. It is not in the circumstances I find myself in. And you as a body in Philippi, you as a body in Ocala, can find grace and peace and unity from Christ. He uses us in it, but the source of it is Him. That's what He's saying. So, our obedience and action for one another is first, rejoice with someone in Christ. Seek reconciliation with anyone you needed to in the body. If there's someone in the body that you need to seek reconciliation with, do that. Absolutely do that. Remember the members of the body have value because Christ died for them also. Do not write people off. God says they're valuable, so they are. So now our obedience and action for our community, right? So outside of this church body. There we go. Now we're back. First is find your joy from Christ, not your surroundings. And remember, they will notice. The people in your community will notice where you find your joy. Be known in your community for your gentleness. Gotta check ourselves there. And the blessing bags, which we handed out to the homeless, how did that line up with this? As we went out and we gave those bags and as we prayed with people, there were gentleness there, there was love there, 
we focused on the good things there. We prayed with them. It was, it was cool. Uh, watching, watching my son think through what was happening was cool. Working in the community. And we're going to do more of that stuff. We as a body are going to go more into the community, not away from the community, because he's kind of called us to do that. And all the while, as we go forward with what God has called us to do, our feelings are going to get in the way. Our emotions are going to get in the way. We're going to annoy each other. We're going to snap at one another. We're going to do boneheaded things. But are we working to discipline ourselves? Are we working for the unity of the body? Because remember, it comes from God. And we can bank on that. Cast the anxiety on Him. He's called us to do that. Remember that magic team? They still haven't done much. They went through an entire rebuild, drafted all new players. That was 1995. Still hasn't been much. Had every opportunity to succeed. But not having unity killed it. We as a body have the talent of God. We have this, uh, the ability to succeed at what God's called us to do. But we also have the ability to infight, snap at each other, and not. Which we're going to choose to do. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.